0: Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia De La Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook and angeltarot.org. This podcast would not be possible without support from loyal fans like you. And I want to thank everyone who supports me on Patreon. You can find that link and more details about this podcast at nadiadelacruz.com. Now, my guest today is Working to Heal Generational Trauma and make the world a better place for our children. He is the co-founder of Parent Footprint, an interactive online training program for parents, and the author of Project Love, What Legacy Do You Want to Leave? Payman Fazley, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I got to give everybody just a little bit of history about how you and I connected because I think it's so fascinating. It was at least a year ago that I saw a comment you had posted in the Wayne Dyer Wisdom community. One of the posts on there that you commented on. So I do read those comments, folks, in case you're wondering. And, um, and you said that you had a dream about Wayne on the night that he died and at the time you hadn't even realized that he had passed and that dream is directly connected to the book that you wrote i've got it right here project love that was not written yet and you shared that you were working on this book and it wasn't done yet and i said you know what when you finish that book i'd love to have you on the podcast like whatever wayne inspired you to do with this book i need to know like i wanted to know more and then Right. Like nothing happened from my end for a long time. And then I get this message. I get this this little Facebook message that says, hey, I finished the book. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he remembered. <laughs> this is so exciting. Not only did you get it done like you, you finished what was in your heart and put it out there. But you contacted me and sent me a copy of the book. And I'm so thankful that you did.
1: I'm glad that I did. Thank you. <laughs>
0: So I definitely want to get into more about that dream that you had with Wayne Dyer and what your connection is with him. But first, I think, let's talk about your book. Um, So here we have Project Love. I love the title. Um, I keep thinking about Wayne wearing that shirt that says love, period, and that (laughs) it seemed like the older he got and the deeper into spirituality, the longer he'd been kind of teaching us and doing this, it all came down to like one core message, that love is everything. Love is what God is, love is our source, love is what we are at our core, and it is the answer to anything that you perceive to be missing in your life. Not creating love, but reconnecting to the love that's already there. So I'd like to read a little excerpt from the back of this book that says, our childhood home is our first school and our parents are our first love teachers. Our capacity to love grows out of our first interactions with our parents and caregivers. This book offers new possibilities for happiness, which is nothing more than removal of what stands in the way of our natural ability to experiencing love. It's such a heartfelt sentiment, and I think one that is timeless. Uh, I know you included a lot of quotes from Rumi in here, and um, I think that's great. It's just like, we need to get this. And I would say now more than ever, except I think as as humanity, we've always needed to get this. But I want to ask you, what motivated you to
1: write this book? Well, uh, I think the motivation to write the book probably going to come out later. I had no intention of writing a book. I mean, English is my second language. And Every time I write an email, I have to read it a few times to get all the, you know, mistakes out. I never thought of myself as an author. I mean, I don't feel comfortable sending a text if it didn't have spell check. So I never Mm. intended to write a book. But Mm. where it all started was the instant, the instant I held my newborn child. Mm. I felt like an energy inside my body that I never felt before. So... It all started by recognizing that I want to love this little child to the best of my ability. I wanted the world to be a better place because it was in it. So it all started with the journey of my parenting. And uh, I wanted to do the best I possibly can. And what (laughs) happened is uh, we experience our love through our relationship to it. Yeah. To know the truth about love, we need to examine the examiner, which is the journey and which is the foundation for parent footprint. Uh, I really wanted to do better. I mean, my parents have raised me to the best of their ability and provided everything for my culture, best education, best clothes, vacation, food, what have you. But, you know, maybe it's for most of my generation, I didn't grow up feeling that I was loved and hugged and kissed as much I wanted to be as a child. Mm -hmm. and i wanted to make sure that my children don't feel that way so that was the beginning of it and we can get more into it but it was just so started by really learning about parenting and the basis Mm -hmm. for parenting the science of psychology says that we parent based on how we were parented so i Mm -hmm. got deep into parenting which is the foundation of parent footprint which is a company i co-created with dr dan peters who's a child psychologist and author uh the best way to learn something is to teach it so to the whole journey of love that wayne talks about the entry to this lane for me was officially as when i became a parent
0: yeah well first i have to tell you that your writing is exceptional not just good (laughs) but exceptional the way you put feelings into words is extremely skilled and your you. message come across very clearly. So I really enjoyed reading your book. Now, right, I was thinking about how you share some personal stories from your childhood and your relationship with your parents. And um, I want to applaud your transparency, because I think when we open up people into our own lives, that's when we can do the most good. That's when we can show them, listen. This is really what happened. This is really how I feel about what happened. People can connect and resonate and learn from that. If we're not willing to share, to really open up and share, um, it doesn't quite reach people in the same way. So you did that. But I wonder if that was difficult, putting that into writing, knowing that maybe some of your friends and family wouldn't be thrilled with
1: Well, I mean seeing uh, themselves
0: in a book. (laughs) The
1: comment comment I've received. So I mean, this is a book about my childhood. It's a book about my failed marriage. And one consistent theme that I've heard is that how I've been able to tell this and honestly share the essence of story with so much respect for my parents and for my ex-wife. So that was my intention. And the reason I shared my personal story, first of all, I mean I have no authority, I cannot talk about parenting, I'm no psychologist or marriage expert. So I tried to tell the story like, I've always loved the book Alchemist. It was so yeah. inspiring, you read the story and the story is filled with nuggets and I, call, it's like a soap, the more you rub it, the more <laughs> foam comes out. So what I wanted to do was to share my own life story in a mm-hmm. way that people could potentially relate to. Yeah share the painful lessons I've learned in a way that's not preachy, that mm-hmm. hope that some people could benefit from it. And honestly, I mean, I've read God knows how many books during the last 30 years. I wish I had read this book uh, when mm. I was in my 20s and 30s and before yeah. I decided to get married and really examine my understanding because, you know, our of beliefs is like rain and we were like children. And when it rains on us, we have no choice but getting wet. So mm-hmm. it was interesting that, you know, I got married when I was 40 and I've mm-hmm. been having, you know, you know, relationship. I've had girlfriends since I was 17. I've been in one passionate love relationship after another and, you know, with, and I never stepped back. So when you go to venture capitalist, before VCs give money to the founders, they do pattern recognition. It's not about the idea that you're presenting. It's about mm-hmm. who you are. And unfortunately mm-hmm. it took me 35 years to really apply my project management expertise to really analyze my felt relationships mm-hmm. to see the pattern and how I was doing the same thing with different people and really come back to my false beliefs about love and what I thought it should be and how I should feel. And unfortunately mm-hmm. the inherited checklist that most of us have some more than the others, about what we believe love should be, what should be, marriage should be. And and, uh, what I try to make accessible for everyone by sharing my own childhood stories is that it's really difficult to go through childhood without somehow getting wounded right? And you have big wounds and small wounds. But, you know, there's so many things. I mean, I'm a parent and there's so many things. I mean, you could lose your job, you could have health crisis, you could go through divorce, I mean, moving, tsunami, COVID, God, I mean, there's a host of things that children could suffer from. So Mm -hmm. not recognizing are unresolved childhood wounds. And what I try to bring the psychology, what happens when we are wounded, I mean, I don't want to use the word traumatized because people think it has to be like severe physical or emotional abuse. It's easily, children could easily get wounded. Three children could be in the same situation and all three will be impacted differently. And I try to make the concept of childhood wound accessible And we don't really talk about what happens as a result of children experiencing something that's overwhelming. And what happens, and you don't need to be a psychologist to know that, you try to numb your feelings. You try Mm -hmm. to disassociate from feelings. And what happens when you do that for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, then it becomes a habit. And when you disassociate yourself from your feelings, you're not just choosing to not feel your painful feelings. Mm-hmm. You learn not to feel your feelings. Yeah. and then you learn not to be in your body. Well, this experience that I wrote about called love. Love is something that you experience in your body. when I felt the energy of love when I held my instant, you know my infant child. Then I realized mm-hmm. that, oh my God, there is so much more to love that I haven't experienced. So it's book, it's funny because doctor, I mean, I thought I'm gonna write this book in six months. But I've Mm. never written a book. So I quit my corporate job in 2015, thinking that I want to make parenting my profession and write a book about it. And I kind of, I've been a project manager for 30 years. I've never managed the project that was delivered on time and on budget, but I really (laughs) missed the timeline and budget on this one. I mean, even over six years, I went through many, many, many different, I mean, I had at least six professional developmental editors who tore my book to the part? I mean, first of all, they said, this is seven different books. Pick a topic. You either write about death. You either write about parenting. You either write about love relationship. You either write about energy. You either write about sex. Pick a topic. You can't have a book about all these different topics. So I had to weave it all in and, I did everything they told me. They're like, you can't sound like Deepak Chopra and Chris Rocks, Pick a voice. I tried to merge them all, and it's been a pain. Because I knew that I wanted my book to create an experience for the reader, and uh, I've been a product developer for a long time, so I did a lot of testing, and that's mm-hmm. why it's taking. I could have published this book. I mean, even when iPhone was shipped, it had bugs. I mean, you know better than mm-hmm. me that. Most products have a ship date, and you do the best you can, and you ship the product. And they're like, I could have published this book four or five, you know, many years ago. But it, it's—I mean, it, it was a book, but it wasn't the kind of book that I wanted to be. I wanted—I wanted this book to be a book that people could hopefully reflect and, you know, connect. So the difference is when you watch a movie, all the connections is down there. When you read yeah. a book, and you feel something. Then you make a connection with your own life experiences. This is what I was trying to orchestrate for readers to be able to remember their own childhood and remember um, remember what they dreamed about when they were, when we were younger. I mean, I always dreamed of having this passionate love relationship and living happily ever after. I never thought I would get a divorce with two small children, but I did.
0: Yeah, 2015 was a big year for you because you're you know talking about separation from your wife with two young kids you step away from the the very successful career that you built and as i read in the book you lost a close friend of yours that year as yes. well
1: yes losing a friend going through a divorce quitting my corporate you know safety net that i've always had while Uh, building a company and a product so all of this stuff was happening at the same time which was pretty intense
0: so six years it took a lot of work a lot of um mucking about with the book until it matched more closely to the message that was in your heart was that process ultimately a therapeutic one for you like how do you feel now that it's all done
1: um (laughs) I think healing Healing is like physical growth So it's funny because my business partner Dr. Dan who's a psychologist And he asked me on his podcast Did you know you were going to write a book about healing? I'm like no Because I didn't know how much healing I had to do So I think one of the reasons this book Has taken six years Is that I genuinely had to experience What I'm writing about Mm. And what I feel right now is I think I feel I'm more at peace than I've ever been throughout my whole 53 years of life. And Mm -hmm. I think peace is one of the byproducts of healing. So, you know, you can't watch children for hours at a time to see how they're growing. But if you take a look at their pictures from like three months ago, three years Mm -hmm. ago, you can see how they're growing. And I think healing is the same thing. Healing, you don't understand when you're actually healing. But as time passes and you make different decisions, as you process your emotions differently, as you react differently to different situations, then you can kind of figure out how much healing has been done. And I think healing and love is all a journey because it's all about learning and it's all about growing and it's about evolving. So I don't think this journey ever ends, but uh, it's been a really challenging six years. And as we talk about Wayne and the dreams I've had, God knows how many times I was done on my knees. And I'm like, forget this. Really, I'm going to go back to job. I'm going to get a job. And, and you know, it's just like, who am I to write a book? Why should I write a book? I mean, more than 2 million books were self-published last year. You know, you can just upload the document into, you know, Amazon and press hint and get a cover. So I'm like, why am I writing a book? So I had to go back to that. Why am I writing a book? And... Uh, our friend Wayne continued to guide me that I'm writing a book for the 90% that don't read self-help books. I'm writing the books for people Mm -hmm. who don't know that they have a problem. I'm writing a book for functional alcoholics that have a perfect job and a perfect house and they drink two bottles of wine a night. So I, I knew that I'm supposed to do something that hasn't been done before. Yeah. I knew that I'm not writing a self-help book because God knows there's Deepak Chopra and a whole bunch of people who write self-help book, and I never even wanted to put myself in that category. So mm-hmm. I'm a product developer. So my book is a self-help book in disguise. It's a memoir. It's my autobiography. Mm-hmm. It's a true story of why I wanted to create parent footprint. So I was trying to get this. This is like I use this example like for my friend who only eats a burger no tomatoes no lettuce i'm like this is for burger eaters when i'm trying to slice the tomato and lettuce and cucumber and even some spinach in there so they eat it while they eat the burger so uh, that's the same idea so the whole idea parent footprint Mm -hmm. came to fruition as my wife and i were faced with divorce with two small children and we didn't seek therapy we didn't seek therapy and i built parent footprint for the 90% of people who either don't have the time, the money, or perhaps the courage to walk into the office of the therapy. So that's what parent footprint is is an interactive training that simulates the experience of sitting down with their trainer, with a therapist, so you can examine your childhood. Because the science of psychology tell, tells us that we parent based on how we were parented, and that our emotional reactivity to our children is not because of our children, is because of our own childhood issues. So I yeah. built Parent Footprint, and the book is kind of similar. It's a true story of why I've done it, and it's a true story that uh, we owe it to our children to experience true love. And true love is experience on the other side of healing. It's not needs-based. you got to be in your body, right? you got to be in your own heart. Self-love means self-respect. Self-respect means honoring your preferences. And a whole bunch of that, that's in the book. And because Mm -hmm. we are modeling, we're modeling what a loving relationship is to our children. So Mm -hmm. my story is that the worst thing you can do to your children is to stay in an unhappy marriage and teach them the wrong beliefs about love, which is unfortunately the advice I got. So when I was unhappily married, not 90%, not 99%, 100%. 100% 100% of my close friends and family, was that stay together, stay together, put your kids through high school, and once they go away to college, you guys can separate. That was that was unanimous. They're like, mm-hmm. you're not fighting, this is not, the, I mean, just just up, they're like, everyone's feedback is like, you're a parent. Life yeah. is not about your happiness, you're a parent. And my story is that when you're in an airplane and something happens, the oxygen mask drops, they tell you to put the mask on your own face because if you pass out, you can't help your children. So my story is that only happy and healthy people can raise happy and healthy children. And I've applied my project management to really get the root cause of my unhappiness, which had nothing to do with my poor wife. I was unhappy way before she came along. Right? Yeah. So uh, And when we identify- That's insightful. Yeah. And when we identify the source of our own happiness, we mean that the, the, the illusion of marriage and love is that you find someone to complete you. Well, no one can complete you if you're not whole.
0: Yeah. I think actually when we're in relationship, it's the perfect opportunity to figure out what we need to work on in ourselves, because that's when we bump up against our own wounds. We bump up against triggers that go, okay, um, there's pain here. It's not that my husband or my wife is causing pain, which is the the quick, easy thing that pops into our head. Oh, you're doing this to me. But it's like, okay, this is really hurting. And a lot of times it hurts way more than you would think for just the comment that your spouse made because it goes so deep off into childhood. So I think this is an important thing. One thing that I like that you said in your book that I think a lot of people could relate to… He said, for my parents' generation, the definition of a successful marriage was when one spouse gets to bury the other, regardless of what happens along the way. Meaning till death do us part, right? Like you just stick it out. That means you succeeded because you didn't walk away from that marriage. And the definition of parental love was to provide the best possible lifestyle and education. And you talk about travel and education, but a lack of affection, a lack of feeling that that love and support and and compassion. Um, so I think that so many people were raised with sort of that definition. Um, right. so, you know, culturally, I think there's some differences, but um, a lot of people think, yeah, you just you just stick it out, and that's what makes you a good person or a good parent, not realizing. You know how that translate how that trickles down into the lives of the children and then what kind of lives they're going to have and how they're going to raise their children it just goes on and on and on
1: well i built a company from this idea so the whole idea of parent footprint is exactly based on what you mentioned and i think what we owe it i mean the whole evolution uh i think as parents We're really responsible for evolution of humanity because we need to evolve so our children can evolve, so that the Mm -hmm. world can evolve. And evolution is really examining our parent footprints and Mm -hmm. then choosing what we could do better. And what I'm trying to make accessible to everyone is that in order to provide the love and affection and attention and all the good stuff that the children need, Mm -hmm. you have to have it. We have to have it. So I bring a project management approach. That's why I try to use, I mean, I'm sure that you can relate. It's action-oriented writing. I'm writing every sentence because every sentence has a purpose. And Mm -hmm. my purpose is that examine. So examine your current state. Like when you go to the mall and you find a directory of where you want to go, right? Mm -hmm unless you find the thing in the mall and the directory that has an X that says you're here, you don't know where the hell you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to bring from my book and my years of project management and all the self-help book that I've read is like, ask parents, honestly assess how happy and healthy are you? And mm-hmm. you know, I can use the stool analogy. Stool at bare minimum has to have three legs. One leg is what we do. If you are miserable in what you're doing, like yeah, it was most people, you drew a one and a half hour commute to your home because you bought single family detached home in a place where your kid can go to good school and you spend three and a half hours in traffic and you go to this job in which you've been sitting at the same level for 20 years. So I don't want to get into it, but a lot of people, you have to be honest with yourself. Say, are you really happy with what you do? And, and happiness is relative, but some people are actually miserable with what they're doing. Are you happy with what you do? One leg of the stool is what we do. One leg of the stool is who we're with. Are you connected in your intimate relationship? Are you physically connected? Are you emotionally connected? Do you have the shared goals, same vision, same style? That's the other one. And the third leg of the stool is our body. How do you feel about your body? How do you feel about your body? If you're overweight and you're eating all this crap, and you're drinking and smoking, and you're too tired to walk up the stairs, you go to this job in which you're miserable, in three hours in this thing, and you don't remember the last time you kissed your wife or made love. I, I'm telling, I can tell you that you know you cannot raise happy, healthy children because energy. What I try to make available to everyone the knowledge of quantum physics and all we know about energy. Fifty years ago, people used to smoke in the car with their children.
0: Not even 50. I mean, we're talking 10.
1: Yeah. (laughs) 10, 20 years ago. But at least people who are, uh, at least people who want to hurt their body with smoke, they go step aside from their children because they understand secondhand smoke could hurt them, could kill them. And what I'm trying to make accessible is that our toxic energy is passed on to our children just like secondhand smoke. You know, there are tons of report that shows that, you know, people who work longer hours at their jobs, right? They get home later, right? But they're actually really, really happy with their kids and they don't get to take their children to the park and throw balls and do all that stuff. They actually spend less time with their children, but they're actually happier with their work. Their children grow up to be happier individuals than people who get home earlier, take the kids to the park, throw them, take them to the you know karate class, and you know extra math and all this other parenting thing. But when they're not happy, they're passing on that inf- that 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 toxic information. So, again, how happy are you? With what you do? Yeah. I wasn't. I mean, I was pretty successful, but I wasn't really passionate about what I was doing. So I wasn't happy with work. I wasn't connected to my relationship. And once I realized that I'm passing on these footprints to my children, Mm
0: -hmm. I decided
1: to break that. And that's my story. That's my message. And that's my life.
0: Yeah. If we don't bring our best selves to our children, it's really not about the hours that we spend with them. Um, I'm a parent of two young kids. I have a five-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son, and they are my world. And, you know, I, so I'm kind of have my finger on the pulse of of pa- the parenting experience. And um, you know, one of the things that's been coming up recently is that, you know, if we're if we're stressing about the holidays and like, oh, we have to do all the things and we got to make it perfect and we got to buy all the presents and we got to do all the decorations and we got to go to all the parties and whatever it is, and then as a parent, we're just stressed out and we're not enjoying it, then our children aren't enjoying themselves either. And that they really feel our love and our connection when we're relaxed, when we feel relaxed and then we can feel happy. It doesn't really matter what you're doing or or even how much time you're doing it for, but that the time that you spend with them, the only way to really be there with them and have that connection. It's about quality over, over quantity.
1: I love the quality versus quantity, but I'd love to add to yeah. that is that you can't fake it. Yeah. You cannot fake it. Mm -hmm. Children use your energy like your dog, your pet does. Children can sense your energy. So if you What did Wayne
0: say you you can't give away what you don't have, right? So
1: not give away what you don't have. So you have and so to me, it's like I use the analogy of money. Like love is like money. You have to have it to give it. Now it could be inheritance. You could receive love from your parents, and you pass it right on to your children. You could receive money from your parents, right? You can inherit a lot of money, but a lot of first-time millionaires come from actually really poor upbringing. You can work your ass off and learn and become financially, you know, prosperous. Mm-hmm. And you can learn about what it is to love. And learning about love, is, as I say in the back of my book, is really identifying the barriers to love. And what I try to make accessible in my book is that most people are unaware of the barriers to love. Once we were hurt as a child or if we weren't raised Mm -hmm. in a family. And for most of us, at least, it wasn't just my culture. Criticizing was a way to help children excel in academics and in sports activities. So most of us have been criticized. A lot. lot, And and criticizing is, is, is emotional wounds not being loved for who we are so yeah. what i'm trying to say is that if there are problems in the love relationship what we try to do is point fingers and try to most marriage therapists is try to give you techniques for you know problem resolution technique i'll take the garbage out on wednesdays and you do this thing on thursdays and checklist we never we got to get to so the art of project management is a root cause analysis to figure out what is the source of the problem Mm-hmm. And what I try to make accessible the source of most the source of most problems in love relationships, yeah, actually goes to our childhood. It's not because, the love relationship triggers the hell out of it for sure, but the source is not the relationship. It's our childhood, our false beliefs about love, and what I try to you know say over and over again is love is a skill. Love is a skill that we have to practice. It's not just a feeling. Feelings come and go. Love is a skill, and most of us they didn't learn the right skills about love.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some quotes here from your book about love. Love is the most powerful force for happiness. Mm-hmm. We cannot be a source of love for our own children unless we learn how to love our own self. And so, Where true. did
1: I read that? That's beautiful. I should buy that book. Oh, listen,
0: I got a whole list of quotes. There's so many good ones. Thank you. There's so many. I'll send it to you. You'll have, you'll have them handy. You can make like little memes or something. People will love it. Um, yeah, and you also quoted from from Rumi, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. I know that that's something that, that Wayne Dyer quoted often and, and really felt deeply that, you know, there isn't a lack of love in the universe, that sure. we are swimming in a sea of love and it's about how open are we to it. And you talk about... Childhood trauma, um, which doesn't have to be like s- as severe as many people first imagine when they hear the word trauma, but it can be, right? Like how you how you process something that was painful for you that you didn't know how to handle, and you know we we shut we shut part of ourselves down. Um, you shared a story in the book about a memory from from when you were four years old. Would you like to talk about that here today?
1: Uh sure could. So I started with that because it was funny. This was the this was my fair my parents' favorite story as I was growing up to demonstrate what a brave child I was. So I was four years old. Four I mean, I have a, I remember my four year old child. I'm like, oh my god, a four year old? Barely out
0: of toddlerhood,
1: right? Like three to four is a very small progression. And my older brother who was five years older was always messing with me psychologically and physically. And I was fearful of dark. I mean, I me mean, just like scared death of being alone in dark. And mm-hmm. uh, it was my aunt's So I, I don't want to get into the whole story. It's, it's like, it's a very, in a very rich story, but the net of it is that uh, they wanted to punish me. They wanted, they want me, they wanted me to be afraid. And it was something that I hadn't done. My brother tricked me into drinking this drink, thinking I'm going to get a BB gun. I didn't know there was alcohol in it. I drank it. I got sick. I didn't get a BB gun. Anyway, so I felt that I was mistreated. I felt that I was wrong. I was the victim. And they were trying to punish me. So they leave me in this construction site. In the middle of night, in winter, when it was snowing, and they drive away. And anyways, my dad goes and comes behind the wall and starts to, you know, make the monster noise. And what I say is like, Mr. Monster, my name is Payman Pasley. Before you eat me, I want to tell you what happened. And so anyhow, they always use this story to say what a brave child I was. And until I was able to really depict that story and to really go back to the scene of the, you know, to the source of the crime, saying this is like, As a child, I was traumatized. I literally disconnected from my body. So I was able to go back to find out where I was disconnected. And through my book, then I talk about this other epiphany I had at a meditation retreat. 30 years later, two-week silent meditation retreat. And I was in so much physical pain from sitting medication for like 10, 11 days that I left my physical body and I went back to that crime scene. And I went back to that scene and I smelled the gas of the car driving away. I saw my suit. I had to actually go and find the pictures from that wedding. I mm-hmm. saw stripes in my suit. It was, it was like, I mean, it was an out-of-body experience for me to go back to that and really recognize how that fear was still in my 45-year-old body. And yeah. so what I tried to make accessible in my book is what a journey of healing looks like. I believe therapy, I call it the pathway to healing. For most of us, therapy is is a very helpful thing for us to be able to honestly examine our memories because our Mm -hmm. suppressed emotions lie beneath them. Whenever I was being criticized, something triggered my unresolved childhood wounds. And that's what I'm trying to make available to people who have all yeah. been traumatized somehow. And it's hard to be in an intimate love relationship. It's hard to be in a career in which we don't bump against some of those sore spots. And every time trauma gets triggered, we have no access to our logic because we leave our body and uh, we're going to overreact. So that is the source of overreaction. We don't, at the time where we need to have the most access to our logic, yeah. unfortunately, we don't. And that is the source of, I believe, most of divorces, most of, you know, failures, most of the heartache is that we get bumped up against our source spot, which is childhood wounds. And that yeah. brings out the worst in us. So we always make the bad situation worse because we're overreacting to something that happened in the past.
0: So many people have their own examples of this, have their own stories that they, like you said, it was a funny family story of look at how brave you were, right? But there, but there was trauma underneath that, and I think that, you know, I'd love to to sort of step back to that story for a second because there were things that stood out to me that I think are important, um, not just about your story but about how people can identify, start to identify these stories in their own childhood. So what happened was you went to a um, family barbecue or get together Um, when you were four years old, tiny little child, right? Your brother, who's five years older, tricks you into drinking This disgusting concoction of mixed drinks and cigarette ashes and who knows what else. Because he's like, if you drink this, I'm going to give you that toy you want. So you do it. And then you get sick. And instead of, this is what kills me. Instead of your mother running to you and hugging you and being like, oh my God, darling, are you okay? Are you okay? Let me come for you. Let me hold you. Let me wipe your face. Let me do this, right? Instead of that, which would have been the love response, right? They got mad and they said, oh, I can't believe you're making us leave this party. How could you screw up again? And they throw you in the back of the car. You're still getting sick. Drive you in the dark to some abandoned construction site four-year-old boy and to teach you a lesson they drop you off and pretend to leave so you believe that you're now abandoned in the night four-year-old who's sick because of something that wasn't even your fault and then they come around the other way and sneak up on you and make monster noises (laughs) and then Your brave response becomes, oh, ha, ha, ha. This is our funny story. Wasn't it so cute? Not realizing that every time your parents told that story, they were revealing abuse that they had done on their four-year-old.
1: But in all honesty, and to be fair, what triggered that, what triggered that was their own parent footprint. Oh. And clearly remember that my my grandmother telling them, That if you cannot stop a four year old from getting drunk, what are you going to do when he gets older? So in reaction to that, so unfortunately, when I grew up 50 years ago, parenting was all about discipline, discipline. And when you're in the discipline mode, that love that you talked about, oh, hug you and clean your face. Those two things are not those two things are contradictory. You're trying to teach them. You're trying to make sure they won't learn. But let me
0: stop you there. Let me stop you there. Because I'm not saying that they were not taught this. I'm not saying that it wasn't modeled for them. I'm not saying that they believed they were doing anything wrong. This is so common. This is so common. This is your personal story, but it is so common. And we can forgive it in a story like this. We can forgive it because you weren't wounded. You weren't hit. You weren't sexually abused. But those things pedophilia, sexual abuse, beating a child, locking them in a basement, those things are taught and learned in trauma responses from generational trauma too. True. So and, I don't and, think that we need to excuse any of it. We can understand it, but I don't yeah. think we need to excuse any of it.
1: I agree. I agree. And sadly is that there's still, I mean, statistics, it's like heartbreaking still to this day. And again, I got a lot of this research through the work I've done, read different books, to this day, 2021. One out of three girls under age of five are sexually molested by someone from their immediate family. And one out of every four or five boys, that the worst thing that the worst thing that could happen to a child, even worse than physical abuse, is sexual abuse. Yeah. Children are being abused as we speak. It's insane. And, and what I'm trying to say is that most of the problems in the world, and I try to use stories of dictators, you know, hurt people, yep. hurt people. And I think that as a parent, we're responsible. One is not hurting our poor children and call it, you know, discipline. Understand yeah. that children need love, and there's so much that when it's not, it's not just parent footprint. There's so many people out there. There's so many classes. There's so many books about parenting. Thank God for technology and internet. Now parents really understand that you know the importance of love. So we're doing a lot better than we were 50 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But the sad reality of life is that the root cause of most evil in the world. Already, really children who were wounded and traumatized and abused.
0: I completely agree with you. And thank you so much for being someone who stands up and says that, for being someone who stands up and says, you know what? Like, this starts in childhood. Yes. And it starts from the parents and the parents of the parents and the parents of the parents, which is exactly what generational trauma is. And that we can't just start as adults and go, well, gosh, you know, what? why am I behaving as I am as an adult? Why am I always arguing to win? Why am I, um, you know, whatever it is that we think that we're not good at or we're not doing well, we tend to cut us off from the point of adulthood on and not look back at where some of these things are starting from. And so to continue with your story of, of how you were left as a four year old and was described as a show of, of bravery in the construction site. And then you said 30 years later, you had a silent meditation retreat. This chapter really moved me. It really moved me. There was a different energy to it. I think it revealed a lot of the work that you've been doing on yourself in recent years to um, connect with the energy of healing So you talk about this experience of leaving your body and having this out-of-body experience and then coming to see yourself as a child on that night in such great detail and understanding clearly for the first time um, what happened and how you sort of shut down a part of yourself in order to, to survive the pain and the fear that you felt in that moment. And I wanted to ask you if you're familiar with a shamanic journey or shamanic healing.
1: Yes, I've heard about it. Yes.
0: So I have studied shamanism um, and journeying, and this for me resonated so much as soul retrieval. Have you heard of soul retrieval?
1: I believe, and I believe that's where my our guide Wayne comes in because I I know. I mean, you know, I called myself an author, but I co-created this book. I have co-created this book. I have been led to the experiences that I needed to experience so I can write about it. That's why it has taken six years. So I really really believe that something profound has happened. And that's why I've dedicated, I told you I walked away from 30 year career in 2015 and uh, mm-hmm. I'm taking this message on the road because I believe, I mean, I don't want to call myself healer, but most people who become healers are people who were in some severe pain and yes. somehow get to address their pain. And, and often
0: near death as well, that it, it, and you get death, to this breaking yeah, point.
1: Yeah. yeah. The, the, Wayne wrote the foreword for, you know, Anita's book. And, you know, she had a near death experience. So I think for me, this wasn't really a near death experience. But the life I was living felt like death, because it's like, I use this analogy, imagine you're eating this salad, which has everything you want in it. Lettuce, tomatoes, cucumber, all vegetables, broccoli, everything you want in it, but it has no dressing. It has no dressing, and you're trying to eat it and enjoy it, and you think there's something wrong in it. I lived, I mean, my checklist, I have a water ski boat, I have a boat, I have a convertible car, every kind of watch I wanted, beautiful house, beautiful life. You had it all. I had it all, and I was still unhappy. And my core definition was that there's something wrong with me. There has to be something. What else can I want? And that's what my parents told me. My, honestly, when I wanted to get a divorce, my family wanted, to be, wanted me to be hospitalized. They're like, there's something mental with this case. And it's funny because ever since my children were born, nobody, nobody ever questions my fatherly concern. I mean, I took three months off when my son was born. I've, I mean, I'm a hands-on dad. I love my children. I, I mean, no, everybody know that I'm like, you know, from if you were to see, you know, my children, the amount of time I spend with them, I'm probably in top 5%. I mean, I do anything for my children. So I was telling my parents, this is, this is a parent footprint, this is the book moment. I'm like, you guys know that I die for my children. And every, every part of the science telling me that divorce is the second worst thing that could happen to a child, after death of a parent. And I'm like, would you believe that I would do something like this? And it's funny, I was having lunch with my business partner, Dr. Dan, and he joked at me, he said, you've done everything you've done during the last six, seven years because of your children. Because I didn't want the divorce footprint to impact my children in any negative way. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't. And my children mm-hmm. are doing amazingly well. They're having a happy childhood. And I'm trying to, I mean, many many years ago everyone used to think that the world was flat and because everybody believed it they believed it was flat until years later we're not so i'm trying to challenge this handed down belief that's been passed Mm -hmm. on through many 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 generations that got to my parents that if you are married and you have children and you're not happy it's no longer about happiness no you need Mm -hmm. to address the root cause of your happiness you need yes. to address the root cause of your happiness. And divorce is not the worst thing that could happen to children. The worst thing that could happen to children is for people to stay unhappily married, and mm-hmm. teach their children the wrong beliefs about love. That's what's the worst thing that could happen.
0: So, to talk about trauma a little bit from an energy perspective, the way that um, the way that we learn about traumatic traumatic events in shamanism is the idea that your soul in a moment of trauma something that is too painful for you to know how to deal with we often will sort of exit our bodies we exit our bodies like it's too much we don't want to and that a piece of ourselves can split off that you sort of lose a piece of yourself in that moment and that in order to ever feel whole in order to heal from that you need to return to that moment of trauma in your heart, in your mind, in your memories and reclaim, re-welcome, re-embrace that piece of yourself that split off. Mm. And when you talk about that, seeing your four-year-old self more than seeing, feeling, being there, being in that moment, that to me was a soul retrieval. That you went and got that four-year-old boy the one before <laughs> part of you split off reunited that and brought brought him back and something that's interesting to me about your life is that when your son was born this was such a pivotal moment of change for you and it sounds like one of the biggest reasons is because your approach to parenting that naturally arose from this new feeling you had of holding this precious little just born into the world soul. This new feeling that you had changed you in a way that it seemed like nobody else around you experienced in the same way. Or maybe they had different beliefs about how to approach a child. Do you comfort them when they're crying? What do you do about sleep training, right? All of these things. So what was it that was different about your parenting approach than that of your wife or your, or your family or your friends? What was the, the disconnect?
1: I think that what I really wanted to do from day one was to parent my child better than how I was parented. And I think that's what we all should do as parents. I mean, our parents did the best they know how. We Mm -hmm. know the best we can do. Once we know better, we can do better. So I try to educate myself about what's better. I wasn't willing to just accept the handed down beliefs. And, you know, so when I start the book with the parenting chapter and I talk about sleeping consultant and I just, Mm -hmm. I didn't, I did not allow them. Like you got to let the child cry to sleep. And I did not. I did not. And she's like, If you want to pick him up as your t- I'll pick them up. And I hired a sleeping consultant. And I hired a second one. And I just that's the stories in the book. So it started with not accepting, allowing my children. So I started to educate myself. But what
0: what was it that your wife and you, particularly between the two of you, disagreed on about how how to raise the child or how to respond to the you know pretty
1: much every goddamn thing because what I try to make and when you're dating someone the last thing you try to assess is the parenting that's you never think about that oh not me I did. Why, I, and he's I, a
0: great dad. <laughs> good
1: for you. And I wish I wish I would read this book and I wish I did that because one of the yeah. biggest sources of conflicts in relationships when you become parents is different parenting philosophy. We have a very different parenting philosophy from yeah. day one. We I mean, have you know, even when we had children, I mean, I would take my children to the park, not once we held hands and took our, you know push the stroller to go to the park. Because when I took the children to the park, she was cleaning and scrubbing and reorganizing. I mean, she's a doer. She's a doer. And, 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 and it is. And, and again, there's some gardeners who do the work. And there's some gardeners who actually sit down and sip their cup of coffee and look at the flowers yeah. after done with the work. So I'm the sipping type of coffee. I'm like, I swear, she made me, she made us go see a child psychologist when my child was born. And in the beginning, she's like, you're kissing the child too much. I'm like, there's no such thing as he's like, put the kid down. I'm like, no. She's like, put the kid down. Stop kissing so much. And then the psychologist asked me, are you doing anything inappropriate? I'm like, what do you mean inappropriate? And he goes, there's no such thing as too much kissing. There's no such thing. So I talk about worlds apart. We were worlds apart. And I think that was was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because when he came to... and, And right now, actually, to be honest... My children, we've been divorced for six years, and they're doing amazingly well. They're Wonderful. emotionally connected to their mom. Their mom is an amazing mom. They love yeah. their mom, and she's all about discipline. And when they come here, they, you know what my son said? is like we live in two different worlds. When they come to my house, mm. daddy is a waiter. They send me a text, and I, drive, I, I do room service. And when I deliver <laughs> stuff in the room service, they pay me, and they have to tip me. And the tip is the hug and a kiss. And oh my, we have a love feast every day. And I would not be able to do this with my children if they weren't doing the laundry. They do their own laundry at their mom's house. They wake up in the morning, they pack their own lunch. And I hear, I take orders, like my daughter wants this for dinner. Over there, they're like, we eat what she cooks or we don't eat. And God bless her soul. Because children need discipline. And children yeah. love and it's good that we're complementing each other, but we have two different worlds. And I think that when you come to parenting, none of us are right in the center. Some of us may be, like me, a little too extreme on the love yeah. side and some may be a little too extreme on the discipline side. And whatever that delta is, for us, it was Grand Canyon. But for people, you know, it, 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 you could be, you know, standing on different side of that scale.
0: Yeah, that's nice that they're like they're getting something good and something different from from both, you know, sure. your 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 ex-wife's house and your house. And so when they're going to grow up like they they have all these experiences to draw sure. from about, you know, what's going to feel right for them when.
1: But the you know, one they, thing I want to mention, the most important element of childhood yeah. that I try to make available in my book is that childhood is a very precious time of life. That needs to be mm-hmm. respected. Children need to have a happy childhood. And when yeah. children have a happy childhood, they don't even know if their parents are married or divorced. Children need to have a happy childhood. And children need to play. Children need to be loved. Children need to be protected. Yeah. And once you do that, I think you're giving them a the biggest boost they can have in their life.
0: Well said. There's a quote from your book. It says, true love begins in our homes with our parents, if we are lucky, or with our children, once we become aware of our enormous responsibility as parents. Yeah.
1: Well done. it It is an enormous responsibility because our number one responsibility is to love our children. And what do we know about love? What do we learn from our parents? Yeah. And what do our parents know about love? Is what they learned from their parents. So the whole evolution is that we all need to step back, you know, and recognize what is it that we can and want to do better for our children.
0: Yes, I love that. And it's so clear that you've done this deep dive into why do I feel this way and what isn't working for me and how do I want to raise my own kids and you went deep and I applaud you for that. I applaud you for the deep dive that you've done and you came back with all this gold to share with everybody about the importance of childhood and love and connecting with one another and um, therapy. Yeah. Now, there was one thing that you wrote in the book that I wanted to mention. Before we move on, I want to talk about Wayne Dyer. But um, for we spoke a little bit about your process of writing this book, and there was a quote that really touched my heart that said, I started to write because I had no one to help me process my emotions after my son was born. If my wife had the patience or capacity to listen to all that I wanted to share – I might not have discovered my passion for writing that makes me feel like I'm talking when there is no one there to listen. And we're listening, so thank you for writing. Thank you. Now, Wayne Dyer, mm, he's been present in your life. I wanna tell you, I can hear his voice. I can feel his presence. I know without a doubt that some of this book, if not much of it, was channeled with the help of Wayne with his presence in your life. So, when did you first discover Wayne? You know, what kind of impact did he have? And and then let's talk about those dreams.
1: So I've been reading self-help books. Wayne's always been one of my favorite authors, but uh, I never knew that how deeply you know he's been guiding me. So uh, it was uh, 2015. And I was contemplating divorce with two small children, which was a big step. Uh, And I just knew that I wanted to go somewhere. I wanted to go somewhere and really step aside and really, this was a big decision I wanted to contemplate. And this was the beginning of trusting my intuition. And I do talk about intuition. And in order for us to have access to our intuition, we need to be in our body. And for those of us who were traumatized and not used to being in our body, we don't have access to our intuition. I knew I wanted to go somewhere. And I love lakes. I have a water ski boat. I've lived in California for 40 years. I've been to every lake in Northern California. So I had a, tra- I had a session with my trainer at the gym the day I was thinking about going somewhere. And he said, hey, by the way, next week we have to cancel our you know, workouts because I'm going to Lake Almanor." I'm like, where the hell is Lake Almanor? Lake Almanor is one of the best kept secrets in California. It was a lake I never heard about. So as soon as he said Lake Almanor, I felt in my body that that's where I'm going. And I'm like, I'm going to Lake Almanor. And the person he was staying with was his dad's best friend who was a real estate agent. So I got the phone number. I called her. She found me a house on the lake. And I decided to go spend the week there. Last week in August of 2015. As I got close to this lake, I mean, I don't know for those of you guys who've been to Lake you know, uh, Lake Tahoe, it is kind of as beautiful as Lake Tahoe, but the way it was 300 years ago is the first man-made lake. It was, I mean, what I can tell you, the first feeling as I saw the lake, and I'm like, oh my God, this is where I want to die. This is, I swear to God, I'm like, this is where I want to die. I wasn't thinking about writing a book. There was no Wi-Fi, there was no cell phone connection. And I remember having this really in- lucid dream with Wayne and I talking. And it was like really deep dream. And he said, mean, like, you gotta write a book. You gotta write a book. And you gotta write a book because you, I mean, and all, I mean, I can go back to it, but the stuff is like, no, no, no. You you gotta tell, the, he's like, you gotta tell the story in his language. You, he said, you gotta tell the story in a way a taxi driver can understand. Anyone can understand. You got to tell it to the people who need to hear it. You got to tell this to people who don't read my kind of books. That's what he told me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, so everything I've done goes back to that. I built parent footprint awareness training to simulate the experience of sitting down with therapists Mm -hmm. for those people who don't go see therapists. I've Mm -hmm. written a memoir but it's a self-help book in disguise. So mm-hmm. it all started. And the part that blew me away when I got back to following me, I'm like, "Oh my God!" That Saturday, August 29th, was the night he passed. So that was yeah. that was intense. And throughout this last six years, God knows, there's been pivotal moment when I ran out of time, when I ran out of money, nobody on my side. I got horrible reviews every time I got it. every time I paid to have professional content editing. They came back with all the things that was wrong with my book. Not, not one positive feedback, not positive hope. And uh, I've had many, many dreams and the amazing part that I haven't shared with anyone. In each one of these dreams, we remember all of our previous dreams and conversations. It's like, a, it's like watching a Netflix series. It's like you continue where you picked off. And he just told me that, I mean, and after all of those, I would be filled with hope and enthusiasm. And then the next day, I accidentally saw this blog. And on the blog, I found out the author and the book. I have read 500 books in the last six years. 500 books. I just had a surgery on my elbow at UCSF last week because my elbow reading on the book, you know how you have carpal tunnel? I have yeah. elbow funnel from reading 700 books. And you know what? I didn't go to Amazon to order 700 books. All of these books landed in my lap accidentally. And each book gave me insight. Each book led me to another book. Each book was another thing. So I, now that I'm talking to you and sharing here for the Wayne believers that I know his energy has been guiding me because God knows that I could not have lasted. See, when you are, and I've done a couple of startup companies, see, when you have an idea, you have a company, you're motivated, you're motivated, you have this idea, you're pushing it forward, you're pushing it forward, you're pushing it forward. At some point, when you fall down and you get your teeth kicked in, you lose that motivation. You get tired of giving up. The difference between being motivated when you're pushing something Versus when you're inspired. When you are inspired, you're being pulled. And God knows that I've been pulled and dragged through the last six years. And I cannot take full credit. And how the book came and I see how it was and how the stories weaved in together. And I I honestly, I would not be able to take credit. At best, I've been a co-curator. And the timing of my dreams with him. I I wish I could dream about him every night. And I don't. But... The times he came in and now that I see what I've done, that I've created, uh, I'm really going after the other 90% that are not self help readers, right? I'm trying Mm -hmm. to go after that Mm -hmm. and my story is disguised. I'm using project management strategy, how you manage a project. I'm using a different language to bring people in and I'm hoping that once they're in and they read my story halfway through it, you know, they, they get into their own heart and, and giving into our own heart is the first step. And, and the problem is that I didn't know that I was not in my heart. I didn't mm-hmm. know that I was not in my heart. I mean, when there's a fan running in the background all your life, you get used to that background noise. Yeah. Once I got up in the middle of the night and helped my son, when I was exhausted with so much enthusiasm, when I was physically drained, but as soon as I hear his voice, I jump out like I've had five cups of coffee. And I hold my son and I change him and I feed him and I burp him. Those moments that I had in the middle of the night, I experienced love at the depth that I didn't think was possible. And I believe the energy of my son allowed me to move deeper into my own body. And that's, that's so what beautiful. And that's why I'm trying to say that uh, true love... You know, it's when you have a child, because when you have a child, you have access to love. You have that access to love. And we can use that love to go into our own body. We can use their love because they are going to follow our footsteps. So every day, every day, when I make even drinking soda, smoking cigarette, drinking alcohol, they're watching us all the time. So every day I ask my question, I ask myself a question, small decisions or big decisions? Is this something I want my children to do? And if it's not, then I shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Because children don't listen to what we say. They watch what we do. And my, 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 my story is that, you know, parenting, I've read every book written about parenting in the last 50 years. And what mm-hmm. I can tell you about everything I've learned from reading all these books and getting my elbow tunnel that I had to have removed is that mm-hmm. parenting skills don't mean a goddamn thing. Who we are as a person is the most important thing. Who we are, how we conduct our life, the attitude we have about what we do for a living, how Mm -hmm. we behave in our love relationships. That's what parenting is all about. Because children are watching us and they're going to follow our footsteps.
0: I feel that. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for... For pouring six years of your work and your research into this book, I think it is going to reach people and bring that, bring them into that space of love within themselves, which you're right, is the first step. And what you said about um, inspiration, you know, and I hear Wayne over here saying, you know, (laughs) inspiration is when an idea gets a hold of you, right? It's, It's something that draws you forward and... Thank you for sharing your your dreams with Wayne. Um, it is so funny. I have spoken to quite a few people now who have had Wayne pop up in unusual ways. One was in a tarot reading and Wayne pops up and says, you need to write that book. So he is, <laughs> he is motivating people. And um, yeah, I love that he's been a part of your path and that we had an opportunity to connect today. Thank you. Now, for people who are interested in learning more about parent footprint, um, where do they go for that?
1: So uh, parent footprint, parentfootprint.com is the first generation of truly online training for parents. So instead of a 60 minute video that you know most parent trainings are all about, this is actually chunked into 12, three to five minute videos that are optimized for your cell phone. So instead of, you know, Going on Facebook when you're in the bathroom or when you're waiting to pick up your child, you can watch these two, three minute videos that are profound, insightful, you know, conversations with Dr. Dan. And each one of those videos ends with a multiple choice question. So the first one, he says that we talk about love. Love is the most important element of parenting. So he starts mm-hmm. the parent footprint training, starts with this question. When you think about your childhood, do you remember being loved all the time? Mm-hmm remember being loved most of the time or when you think about your childhood you really don't think you were loved the way you wanted to be loved by your parents and it's funny because most people say i was loved all the time or most of the time see i've been a consultant for many years and i sat down with dr dan and said i've been seeing therapists for 30 years what's the first thing that needs to happen when they come into your office when do you know they're ready to leave your office and we it took us six months to design it And that's why we came up with this question. See, there are two types of people that mostly go to therapy. They're either like me, they talk so much, they don't allow the therapist to say anything. (laughs) Or they're like my ex-wife who've been dragged into therapy and they don't share much so the therapist can't ask questions. Unless the therapist asks some questions, right? until that interaction happens with Q&A, you would not gain what you gain from therapy, which is awareness. To become aware of something you didn't know before you go to therapy. So we built Parent Footprint Awareness Training with profound insights and Q&A to have awareness about your childhood so you can choose how to parent your children differently. And that would be parentfootprint.com. And my book, Project Love, What Legacy You Want to Leave? is a true story of how this idea came into fruition. And that book is available on Amazon and on my website, paymanfazli.com.
0: Okay. Now you asked an important question for us, and I want to turn around and ask you, what legacy do you want to leave?
1: Love. Love. And the way I want to leave a legacy of love by the way I conduct my personal and professional life. I'm raising my children to become aware of their natural gifts and their passion and have enough self-esteem and confidence to pursue their passion Because when we do what we love, we love who we are. And uh, I'm raising my children to model what a loving relationship looks like. I want my children to know how it feels to be loved, how it feels to be respected. So they become capable of loving and respecting others and expecting to be loved and respected. So at the end of my life, I will measure the success of my parenting journey. By how my children feel about what they do and how my children feel about who they're with mm.
0: it all comes back to love Thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you for sending me your book and getting in contact with me after all this time. And for all our listeners, thank you for following Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life and telling your friends about it. The full video for this episode will be available to subscribers on Patreon. You can get all the links and more details at NadiaDelacruz.com. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Namaste.